so for me i feel like most producers at this stage now should be more focused on their equity on what they are going to own on the collaborations they make i'm not saying that you should not charge like production fees all that but you should be more um equity conscious hello guys you're welcome to the listening sessions podcast a show about the music industry its players and the game my name is obina agu music businessman and your host all right so um on the pod today we have how 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 do i put this sorry i feel like (laughs) i feel like this guy straight up (laughs) this guy is um for me one of the most influential um nigerian producers in the last decade and i'm talking um in 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 helping to shape up the soundscape and um all of that you know um i i i mean when the whole producer battle was were raging during the pandemic it's like everyone was avoiding this guy. <laughs> like he had no, the they virus. were not avoiding me. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing you the know, right so thing. I, I, I wouldn't blame them. Even I wouldn't want to step up to you in a beat battle, man. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the legendary E. Kelly. Yes, yeah, nice to have me. Chaos. Yes, man. It's been years. <laughs> it's been years. Yes. Yeah, so we met. I remember that first time we you stepped in. I think was it was it oh eight or oh seven when you when you came into Jaws with MI yeah 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 and yeah. you guys started the Lagos um what they call that thing the Lagos migration yeah <laughs> the whole J Town crew so somehow somehow you guys you were kind of still instrumental in us coming this way because if the whole crew didn't leave we would have we wouldn't have seen got enough motivation because for me when everyone was gone ice prince jesse and my i was like what am i doing here <laughs> so that was just the next move and yeah. and and look even before before you came there was this project you worked on with um a talented guy called simon oh and we'll be simon. at home guys this is like <laughs> a beautiful r&b project and we'll be at home just jamming this thing and emma yeah. will be raving about you yeah. you know so even before you 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 came through your music and your talent was already yeah i think that simon project for me was was a project that made me believe um that i had a lot more to offer hmm. the industry and i kind of let me know that i was ready for the industry yeah then i was i was just being j-town listening to productions from jazzy bombs and all those guys and i was like yes i had all this respect but i knew that i had something different to offer so it was kind of a like you know that was something told me that okay it's time to come in and do what you have to do and make your stamp totally yeah. i the 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 project was 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 ahead of its time but hey um uh, yeah so sad it didn't really get totally released yeah 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 but till today every time i hear it that i just feel that nostalgia so me too, yeah. me too, me too. Yeah. So, um, Kelly, this 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 question might cause you to dig deep into your memory archives. Um, what was the first beat you were paid to make and how much were you paid? <laughs> okay, I think my first... I always tell people this story about the first production I did that was paid 200 naira. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually remember very clearly because when I, I came into production... Um, first of all, I met Jeremiah Gang. Um, the first day I ever entered the studio, I met Jeremiah Gang. 
um, I was, that was in the year 2000. So I think um, like October. So this year actually makes it 20 years for me, like on production. So um, I remember I came to the studio, met Jeremy Gang. He was, I heard like production that blew my mind away. So I kept following this guy up and down. And then eventually I realized I could learn as much as I could learn. So I had to go somewhere that I was going to have opportunities. And I walked into a studio um, headed by a guy called Jordan King. So Jordan King was just that guy who had that studio that was a commercial space. So um, he was, um, he he kind of like, he saw the unique talent. He knew that he saw that I had to, I liked getting unique sound. And he was, so I think the first productions he put me on it was some gospel guys and I remember very well, I, I think I did like five beats in a day and I think I was paid 200 bucks <laughs> per beat. <laughs> like this is no joke. So I always remember it. So I remember at the time I remember that very well was the time I started earning 200K. So it was a humbling experience. <laughs> so like, like, wow, see like, how far so, we've come. Like it was the, <laughs> it was just a contrast. Like, wow. Yeah, so I always like to tell the story. But I'm sure you were, at, at that time, you just wanted to make music. Yeah, so. it was just it was about <laughs> making the music because I was in my IT year. I was because I, I started I studied in Federal Polybauchi. I started there before I moved to University of Joss. So in between the year I finished and waiting for my transcript to come up, I had nothing doing. Uh, so it was the IT year. So ideally, you know, if you study in the Polytechnic, you go you do one year IT and yeah. then you go back to for your HND. But I already knew I was going to the university. My university um was delayed because of all those strikes and all those crazy stuff. Hmm. So I didn't want to stay at home doing nothing. So I just went to Polytechnic. Yeah. So wow. it, so that year in between when I was chilling, I said I was going to go into studio because I was already producing, Yeah. but just on the keyboard. But I wanted to have that studio experience, make beats that people would sing to. And mind you then, there were no computers when I started like there were actually no computers. Like, I have no memory of computers. I think computers came in in 2001. That's the next year after I started production. That was when I f saw the first computers and all that. So we were there from the beginning of this wow. whole... Um, PSR. Yes, all the... <laughs> yes, the PSR was our, our to-go guy for production. Wow, yes. wow. So, uh, Kelly, talking about J-Town, there's no gain saying the huge impact that Joss has had on the Nigerian music scene in terms of nurturing talents. What is it about Joss that made it such a fertile ground for creative talents to board, you know? Well, I think it's the lifestyle. Like, you know, they call it the then before all the crisis, it was called the home of peace hmm. and tourism. So it was really, really a town of peace. Like, so sad to see what happened in the town in 201. Um, I can't remember that was like four days before US 9-11 when, when the crisis happened. I actually thought it was a joke. And so, but I think it's just about that cool weather. Um, there are a lot of missionaries. A lot of us go to missionary schools. We are taught by whites. So mm. I think there's just something about it that makes you feel international even when you're in Nigeria. <laughs> then the weather is now cold again. So it kind of feels like winter. Like if I was in Joss about this time, it would be so cold. In fact, it was so bad that when I came to Lagos, I had to be 
I remember my late friend Eric was always hitting me up and telling me that you can't keep dressing like this. You can't be wearing sweaters and turtlenecks and all that. But that was the weather in J Town. So you couldn't you in fact you were so cold that you had to wear gloves. <laughs> like no jokes. If you don't wear gloves, you your hands freeze and you have like frost bites or whatever they call that. So that was the kind of weather. So all those vibes made us just had that cool and then it was a very family oriented city families were really close-knit like you hardly see you know how like when i just came to lagos i could just realize that you just see a young guy that is just by himself that has (laughs) left his house from 16 like you don't see that in joss like you know your father's house till like you're 22 23 before you can even think about saying you're leaving you understand so there was that there was that um there was that um so we had that thing that you could there was there was an environment to nurture talent and there was an environment to dream you understand and most times we dreamt we didn't really have like a cap and we're doing it for the love it was Hmm. all for the love wow yeah wow like 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 many like many superstars and creatives before you the church played a crucial role in your development why is the church also a fertile ground for producing artists yeah the church is key because um for every for any talent to grow you need a place where you practice you need a place that puts you under like a routine you know Hmm. for example we you go for rehearsals you come back you rehearse this song so for me i would say yeah, church played a role, but I think my high school played a bigger role in my music development because there, that was where there was MI. So we just had that thing. We always sang. And then there was this keyboard they bought there that I just had an iron from mm-hmm. my junior days. So it was the, the, the passion. And then it was, I was in a boarding school, so we had time. So we, and then we always wanted to do things to impress. So we always wanted to make the better songs. We always wanted to do different things. So I think it was high school that really, really shaped my passion for production. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned MI now. So yeah. I, I, um, legend has it that you showed MI and Jesse the ropes when they were starting out with production. Is there some truth to this? Yeah, there's a hundred percent truth to that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I won't say I won't say um, I taught them everything they know, yeah. but it was my involvement with studio. I was the first to get into the studio, apart from Jeremiah and Cole. So, but I had a very strong influence, especially on Jesse. And then I remember Mi came back. Was it two o three? Because Mi went to school in the US. They yeah. came back in two o three, two o two or two o three. I can't remember the year he came back. So uh, when he came back, he now put us together because we're just all young, talented people just doing stuff. We didn't have structure. But he came in to put the team together. He Mm. came in with the loopy um, whole thing. And then he was lucky enough that we had, um, there was this guy, Bola Debussy. So he put up a studio. But before then, everyone used to come to record at the studio I was working as an intern. Um, I used to work at a studio called Skynet. So everyone came to record there. We came to do our demos. So in the process of doing demos, everyone wanted to learn one thing or two. 
Although then I can say I was a little proud. <laughs> so I remember how it was like you'd be trying to learn something and then I'll just show you one thing and say, please figure it out. <laughs> so but so so well, basically everyone learns those basics because you know there was no YouTube. So anything you needed to know, you had to find out from somebody who knew about it. I was, you know, I think maybe because I was younger then, I was quite explorative. So I could figure things out. Like there was hardly a thing that I would want to know that I would not know how to do. So it was easier. So, but I think Jesse learned a lot more from me. And I learned maybe just a few basics. Mm. And then I think he had more time with the studio when he had the Bola DBC studio. Yeah. But I was still that in guy. In a hub yeah. So I was still that guy you called for <laughs> when there was a major, <laughs> when there was some, when there was something major to, a major hurdle to cross. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Guys, I told you our guest yeah. is the guy. I said it. I said it. So, um, Kelly, can you can you tell us a bit um, about the that whole dynamic? You know, um, Mi Jesse, Charlie X, and you. How did you guys meet initially? So uh, I would say high school was our uniting because we all went to Baptist High. Okay. Myself, Jesse, and my Charlie X. So Baptist High was our uniting was the uniting force. We had other people coming, like Ruby, Dione. There was this guy again. There was this Uche. There was um, Lindsay. But I think I would say the biggest um, uniting force for us was was um, Inner Hub Studios hmm. because Bola literally left that studio to MIS Care. And so that was like a hub where everyone came together to make music. And MI had these big dreams of us putting up like a, a mixtape, hmm. putting up a project. And he wanted us to blow from there. Like he didn't want, he felt like it was going to be possible. We we're going to all do that, record music without any limitation. So we recorded songs and MI was a great writer. So he was literally writing for um, all the female artists, writing their songs, making them perform it. And so it was just such a big dream understand so i think that inner hub played a very big role in what we had at the time wow <laughs> so um it, does it the 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 whole the whole being together um in that space um everybody feeding off of everybody's um 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 energy and sometimes it can even get um um competitive in a friendly way you know so yeah. you 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 you're saying that type of environment helps yeah it was but it was it was a very it was a very healthy um it was a very healthy um environment creating music of course mi was in charge so he would call the shots on central and on several stuff on who was going to do stuff who was going to record who was going to um at the time, I was really... So there was a point during the whole process that I was not totally plugged in because I've always been an individualist. So I've always had a sense of being part of something but always finding a way to keep my individual my individual brand because it's just how I'm wired. I remember a lot, a lot of people were asking me, oh, why are you not fully in Chalk City and all that? But it's just how I'm wired. I always think of... It's not selfishness, but I always have a vision that is different that I feel when I, when I try to force it into what someone else is trying to do, there's going to be a clash. Mm. And I hate some um, conf um, confrontation. So I rather 
just be part of something in to the to the degree I can be, and then still have my thing going on. Yeah, nice, nice. So, um, moving to Lagos is one thing. Yeah, making it in Lagos is another animal. Yeah, make it you did. Yeah. Um, what was your strategy to conquer Lagos at the time? Yeah, sincerely, I had no strategy. <laughs> I just wanted to come in and make music. Like, I have to be honest, like, I had zero str- I knew nothing about the industry. I knew, I didn't know how it was played. In fact, it was so funny. I had this very interesting story. When I came to Lagos, so of course I came in, I met them MI, I was hanging out, I was hanging out, I was hanging out, I was hanging out. And I realized that things were a bit slow. But the good things that I really need to say that I was hooked up to my first few gigs um, through MI, like they will have, you know how it is, like MI was just popping, so somebody's, so you have maybe, maybe someone wants to do a recording with him uh, and they want MI to produce, MI is so busy, him like, come, I have this guy who is really good, why not try recording with him? So that's literally how it was happening, that's how I met Omaomi, I think that's how I met Two Shots, um, Kenny Sam Brown, I say Kenny Sam Brown because that was a very key um, move to a lot of things that happened um, in my career. When I made Kenny Sam Brown's song featuring Irish Prince, Alayimi, I think it was one of the songs that introduced me. Hmm. You understand? Then I now started having, then I think through the studio I recorded her, I met YJ, I met a whole lot of other people. So I think the dots were just connecting. Like it took, it took a while, but it, connected once in a while I remember I recorded with Deep hmm. um, then way back then when Yemi was still we recorded with Yemi Alade and a whole lot a whole lot of others and I think it was in that same it was through that same this thing I, I recorded with Wizkid on yeah uh, on the first on the so first basically album. you 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 thankfully there was a network to plug into yes yeah I have to say that it was that hub that plugged me into um, a lot of the first interactions I had so, um, you know, M.I. was a very established artist then, and he, his career was really on a high. And we also had other careers coming behind, Jesse, Ice Prince. Um, so literally, I looked around the system and I figured out that everyone had the way they wanted to do their production. M.I. was already producing himself. Yeah. Jesse was doing most of his production. Jesse was producing for Ice Prince. Mm-hmm. So I, I tried a few times to plug in to be part of that, be part of the deep system. But I figured that if I need to do that, it was going to pull me back a certain way. Yeah. And it wasn't, there was no bad feelings, but I just knew that it was going to take a whole lot more, a whole lot more. And it was going to pull, it was going to slow down some things, some ideas I had. Yeah. Yeah. So I figured that one of the best ways to do was to try to, Establish myself by myself, and then thanks to Charlie X, we Charles was very excited. Charles is a banker, so he had um, he had his apartment. He wanted me to set up my studio there, so that's actually how I started um, partnered partnered with Charlie X, and we started our thing. Charles, shout out Charlie X! Yeah, shout out Charlie X! Like he was my landlord for <laughs> how many years? <laughs> about <laughs> about six years wow. or so, like five six years. He was and he was he was really really a supportive friend and we're there in Surulere for many years before mm. I moved. Nice yeah. and um, 
the Weezy songs you're talking about, uh, um, Weezy Party and... Weezy Party and Say My Name. So I literally produced the first and the last track on the album. Wow. Yeah, there were other songs that didn't make the album, but like, those were the ones what, what, Did you, did you... Did you feel like he was going to get this big? No, I already knew he was going to. Because like literally, <laughs> I saw he was he was literally, he had recorded um, Hala, Your Boy. Yeah. So literally, let me just say, the Wiz story was so funny. Like Wiz was, Wiz had done that collab with M.I. then. And I think that that brought him to the it did. forefront. Yeah. And Banky was interested. And then Banky brought in Osage to handle this, his career. So I remember then, M.I. kept telling Ways that this guy is a bad guy. Kelly's a bad guy. You better go work with him. So, so I was doing, I was using that shakara and stuff like. That. But when, when Ways dropped, um, Hala your boy, and I remember I went to two events that he performed, just this normal pro bono performances. Mm-hmm. I could see that the the reaction was different. I was just like, ha, I've been dulling. <laughs> I just said, Wiz, bro, let's go into the studio. So literally, I was now the one that jacked Wiz yeah. into the studio. But thanks, thanks, there was Osage who could organize things, who could book the sessions. I can't remember we recorded somewhere in, um, somewhere in Allen. So Body Lawson Studio? It wasn't. Could it have been Body Lawson? I'm not sure it was Buddy Lawson. It was a different guy. Oh, okay. It, but I, I knew that studio. I recorded there, but it wasn't, that was not where we did. Okay. It was a different studio we used in Allen. So we went there, we recorded. Then I really, I know I really suffered with when it came to recording. <laughs> I made him do harmonies. I was still very strict because when I was in Joss, I was a very strict producer. I You can't sing off keys. You can't, you can't just sing any kind of notes. You must hit the right notes. Because I came from an era where we recorded without auto-tune. So I always wanted to make sure that the artists understood and appreciated good recordings. I didn't because at the time there was auto-tune, but mm. we could do we didn't have so much to do when it came to pitch correction. So you just had to sing on key so that at least the tune you know, sits and stuff. So I made we record a lot of harmonies. I think the song we did a lot of harmonies didn't come out. So <laughs> then we now went and recorded Dondo. So I was now teasing him that ah, bro, I was you did mad songs and you now went and recorded the song and freestyled. He said that ah. he said no, be you with the suffer me. We just make me do all this <laughs> harmonies up and down. See, I just do freestyle the song don't blow. You understand? So literally that was a very very. So I was now I started thinking about it that maybe I need to loosen up. Maybe I need to not be so rigid and stuff like that. And I think that was a turning point. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so are you, what, what has changed? Like talking about the process now. So you're not so strict. You just feel like, eh, you know. Yeah. I think for me, after recording way so many artists, I just came to, I came to an understanding that, with an artist, with artists, um, making an artist record some things so many times may not give you the best because some artists can just get the vibe on the first take or maybe get the vibe on the freestyle. Mm-hmm. And then when they're trying to record the real thing, they are now their minds are too focused on getting it right. And when an artist is focused on getting it right, you don't have any soul in the music. Hmm. So I realized that the main thing is notice the moment the artist gets into a deeper realm. And once you have that take, 
just keep it. <laughs> and even if you make them record it again, just always have something to reference to, especially when you do not feel that same thing. Because music is spiritual. Like there's some takes that an artist would just say something and they will say the same thing again, but it doesn't feel the yeah, same. It's not. So I started noticing that. And then I got to a, another phase in my career when I, I was of the opinion that any artist that wants to stand on their own needs yeah. to have a vocal identity. So I would make sure that an artist does the lead vocal completely mm. and that we are feeling the song before we start doing backups and all that. Yeah. Because some artists usually used to hide behind chants and <laughs> ad libs. Yeah. So I will always make the artist record lead vocals and until I feel that lead vocal completely as a song, then I'm okay, yes, we have a song. Hmm. Yeah, so that became my new way of recording. Although some artists will frustrate you. <laughs> <laughs> there are some artists that just can't follow tempo, some just can't sing on key, thanks to pitch correct and other things. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, but 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 sometimes it feels like Afrobeat just for the way it is doesn't even encourage great singing. You know, it's yeah. all chanty chanty. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say so, but like this, like I haven't really been producing in 2020. So when I sit down and I listen to music, I'm not trying to be, you know, some people have this old, bitter, <laughs> uncool kind of mm. behavior. But when I sit down and listen to some kind of artist, and it's so sad that the people who are doing these things are artists that are trying to break into the top scene. And it's sad. I can literally tell them here that with that, with them, with the pattern of what they're doing, they can never, they won't be able to break into the top until they sit down to identify themselves as an artist, sit down to put lyrics together properly, sit down to think through what they're doing. For example, there was an artist that was, I was, that was overseeing a project. I was not even the producer, but I just kept recognizing that the artist just kept freestyling and sending me songs. I'm, I'm like, please, can you put, can this, can you put this thing together? What are you singing about? What, what message are you trying to pass across? Are you just putting vibes? Like we don't want just vibes. Like when you listen to our, some artists, let me say for example, this year I was most impressed by, what's this guy? Um, Omale. I was mm. most impressed by Omale's production, like and his music because like I could see artistry in like the way his music was put together. And I could see that the artist is really, really understands what he's trying to do. Yeah. So I, people, success is not, um, artistic success is not magic. For example, like the first time I heard a bonus record on Back to, is it? Like to Party. Like you can tell that there's something different about this artist. Yes. Like this artist has something unique and different. Mm -hmm. But you now have a lot of artists trying to come out and then, they're trying to freestyle many things. And I'm not saying, I'm not against those music because like, I don't know the, out of all the music, you'll find out that one will just kick. Yes. You understand? But my problem is that continuity. Those, can the artist continue that? Because if an artist doesn't find his identity, then you make one single, two singles, and then you struggle for the rest of your career. So, and it's, it's something that needs addressing. And then I'm also having problems with the cliche. Um, there's some cliche um, 
there's some cliche things that I think we should not even be hearing again. Like when you say, oh, you've been my fire, yeah, or something, something, you've been my desire, yeah, yeah. Like, go down like, low. Do you understand? No, it's not even just forget that. <laughs> They're just some say very, very cliche things that, yeah. like, when I hear them, I'm like, does this artist want to survive in this industry? They don't want to be eating raw. Hmm. Like, so, so I really, really wish artists sit down deep. And, it, and I think the bigger problem is with those who are financing the music. They are more keen on hearing a song that sounds like. More some that sounds like. So if somebody puts a song that sounds like a David does. Femme. Femme. He does something that sounds like it, that gives that femme vibe. They're like, ha, this song, it connects. <laughs> they don't care. They don't want to sit down to analyze the music. The artist we just put it song out. They'll spend a lot of money on video promotions. They'll just realize that okay, the people they pay to play are playing it, but like the song is not going beyond that. And so it's really, really something that worries me. But I believe the industry is fine by itself. Like literally, we've gotten, we've grown beyond, um, and the influx of artists. There are so many artists now. Yeah. I think there are so there are more artists <laughs> in this period. There are more producers in this period that like it's so impossible for us not to have good music at any stage in our industry. So it's my comfort. It's a good problem. Yeah, it's a good problem. You yeah. know, and um, when when you were talking now, you 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 talked about message. Yeah. You know, so what I find is that um, when you say message, they just automatically think it has to be something deep or something profound. No. Just Sometimes it's just about how you say stuff and your choice of words, the way you convey it. And, and you know, in the generation we are in, we have to be very, very careful. Artists have to be careful because very soon, you soon see ladies rise up and say, please, we don't want to be objectified. In music we don't want you spending two hours dis- describing our features yes uh, or or making us look like because we look this way then we are now um sensual objects very soon it's going to come there very soon there's going to be a fight against the way songs have been portrayed in femininity mm-hmm. because why don't why is there no song about um a guy's chest and his hands and <laughs> the only thing the guys talk about is um banana and plantain you know so it's just and it's, it's still yeah it's still a bit it's still going the other way trying to so i feel like music is music there's so much more to do with music and the industry has to grow from where we are now and if we really really want if the if we really really want to grow as an industry we have to start putting our our arts together for the international community to have something to digest because it's no more just about vibes or about a beat that people would dance to. People need to follow a story. People need to follow, um, they need to follow something. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, 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 I totally agree. Um, equally at, um, um of course it, you've worked with a lot of um artists you know um yc um nato c so many people um in fact in um um some years ago i saw you in south africa and um you were um handling 
um, creative stuff for Pata Ranking, yeah. you know. So you 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 you've always had that thing, but um, it is impossible to miss the fruitful professional and personal mm-hmm. relationship um, you have with Mister Easy. Can you briefly tell us about how it all started and um, what that relationship means to you? Yeah. So um, you know, for me with Mister Easy, it was just I would just say it's a god. Um, it's a good connection because I remember when he started putting out his records and um, hold up um, and all that in, was it 2015, 2016? Yeah. Like what struck me that time was the fact that I was seeing an artist <laughs> make hits with songs that had like four instruments and I could not understand it. Like it didn't make any sense to me. Like, like hold up, gung, 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 gung. But, the more I listened to the song, it's like I, I was feeling like it, I could see how the songs were growing into me. And I could see that the lyrics and the vibe, it was a new vibe. It was, like it was new. It was new at the time. And it, it gave birth to a new era. I know, yes, he had some face-offs with a lot of people for saying he brought in a new sound. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to say okay, he did it individually. It was a, there were efforts. Everybody was doing it together. But whether we like it or not, his impact at that time really drove everybody. It was it turned everyone's face to the attention of that Ghana sound. Yes. Yeah, and I say it with no, with no, no shots fired. But that was just it. I watched the industry year in year out, and I see when transitions happen. That was the transition, and one of the key things that happened was also when um, we met on our first times and we made Legover. Yes, um, made Legover because he had heard YC's Omar Laji. And of course, we know that that's a landmark um, production. Of something course. that still I still don't understand myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I analyze the production, I'm like, how? How? This doesn't make sense. A lot of things in the production doesn't make sense. Yeah, but I think it was my quest to understand that sound. Patuankin had released My Woman, My Everything. And I was like, this sound is insane. <laughs> so... When I wanted to make mine, I was like, I'm not really a fast producer. I like things at my pace. So I slowed it down and I created my sound. And of course, I have favorite instruments I love. So when I worked with YC on Omo Alaji, it was just, it was an experiment. And we first session, we just did the hook. And then second session, put in verses. And then that product, I think that was one of the longest productions. <laughs> it took me almost three months to complete that production. Wow. Yeah, literally almost three months. Not that three months working every day, but just the span mm-hmm, of time, mm-hmm. just getting it right. Because I was nervous that I was making a mess of the sound because it was a sound I'd never done, especially the bounce. I was just like, I was just doing so. So I think all those experiments was what made that song so complicated and so advanced. For its time so easy was like no everyone attempted that oh you need to go and work with kelly you need to go and work with kelly we had met in 2013 i think he came to do a feature for one show namakura nakamura guy once one of his guys in ghana also so he was he just did a hook for him i had no idea if i when easy was blown up i said is this not the same guy that came to my studio one time so because it was hard to reconcile the success was too big <laughs> for me to, you know how just you can't just put it yeah, together. Like, uh, Is it that same guy? Because he was, I remember then he was slim, tall, big ears. 
that's what I could remember. <laughs> that's what I could remember. So, but what made me remember was like in 2015, we had talked casually. Easy had started the company, Phone Trader Engine, and we met once in Computer Village. And so wow. I, it was so funny because I know he was, he was sorting out business there and I met him up. So I kept his number then. So there was a time I wanted to buy an iPhone. And so I remembered, ah, I remember this guy in our sales iPhone. Mm. So I chatted him up. So I was chatting him up as a business person. <laughs> as a phone dealer. As a phone dealer, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not really as a, yeah, as somebody who brings in quality phones, yeah. So we chatted and then we, ne- we didn't chat again. So I think he was in Nigeria in 2016. 2016 or 2015 i can't remember i'm not so clear but he was in nigeria that like briefly and then he sent a message that hey yo want to work i really want to work and i remember i was building my studio because it took me a while to build my studio i was building my studio that's exactly i wanted to go to the mainland to my bank to withdraw cash so i told him that i think can we book another day he was like no he has to work today so he asked me why am i not working this i've never said this part of the story (laughs) So he was like, I was like, I, I want to go to the bank and withdraw cash. He said, how much do you want to withdraw? I told him the amount. He said, okay, I'll send you the cash. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine that kind yeah, of like, vibe. Oh, wow. Like, I want to go and withdraw something. Somebody said, yeah, I'll send you the money. You understand? And this is not like saying, this is not um, like this production fees. Yeah. He's going to send you the cash. Just so easy with that kind of guy. So I, I stayed and I was, so I think... I blessed him <laughs> out of that excitement because you know how when you're building something, it was quite tough. I mean, I, I mean materials were expensive. Mm. Um, I was out of money. I was trying to find extra money to just... And my studio is literally not bigger than this space, but it was quite expensive because I did a lot. I did all the wood floors, all the pads and all that soundproofing. It was quite something. So... So that day we made Legova. Hmm. We made Legova like in two hours. He just recorded. So when he recorded um the first um what was the first line Legova? I believe they confused me with uh Bombo. Yeah. So I think he did like I think he just did he now did Legova and everything. So I was like, ah, I like it. Then he sat down and just structured. I think it was the verse that was not properly together. Oh. Then he did the verse. Then did that I did confuse or I did confuse mm-hmm. after I did that so I was now like okay we need one more verse and he was like hi we copy paste we copied and pasted and it sounded so nice so like ha <laughs> so in my mind I was like this is our demo recording when it comes again we're going to record it so he was now back in London so I was like how bro when are you going to be in town so that we record the leg over properly he was like ah so that's the recording though <laughs> <laughs> in my mind I was like no, he didn't just do that because mostly when I record with artists, they record again, yeah. especially when it were like if when it was like a freestyle session. Mm-hmm. So, but I listened carefully, and there was no word that was there was no. I think just maybe one part that maybe had like gibberish. So I was like, okay. So I now sat down, started tweaking, tuning, fine tuning, shifting. But there wasn't really much to do because you no know, easy kind of chance, and still sing so. I put it together properly and something unique happened. So he was not meant to release Legova that December. He had another song lined up because he was working on his EP, on his um, Life is Easy Volume 1. And Legova, he wasn't really sure that he wanted Legova on the project. So, 
and I had given hope. I've given up hope that I was going to have come on this project. So there was a DJ he gave the song to to listener. I think the DJ was excited once and just played it on UK radio. He just played one minute of it. And because he was easy was the hot thing at the time. So people who had heard it recorded <laughs> that one minute clip he played and they put it out on not just okay, say new Mr. Easy. Because everybody was looking for a new Mr. Easy wow. song. So I woke up one morning and I just saw new Mr. Easy leg over produced by Ike. I was like, what's happening? <laughs> I was even scared myself because I thought they were going to trace yeah. the leak to me. Because I'd had an issue of a leak and I was not, I was definitely not, it was, I was definitely, but you know, you being the producer, yeah. you're always going to be asked questions. Yeah, prime suspect. So <laughs> I called, I remember I chatted immediately. I was like, Easy, what's happening? What happened with Legover? And he was like, Ah, this stupid DJ. I'm sorry I'm using that word, but he just, just that was the expression that this guy gave the song, just broke his trust. He was like, Ah, no matter what, Charles, since it's already out, I think it's just best we release it officially. So at least, thanks being to God, I'd already mixed the record. So I sent him the final masters and then he just scheduled the release date and he did the release date, shot the video, had the Wiz cameo and all that. And so I think just all those things just together just came together until today. Like I think that's one of the highest, easiest, highest streaming records. Like Legova, Major Laser heard it, they liked it. Hmm. They did the Major Laser remix. Which had um, it had um, what's that guy's name again? He had French Montana and Ty Dollar Sign. Wow! In fact, we actually had at the time we had there were about four or five people, big artists that like I heard. I think there was a verse from Tory Lanez. There was also mm. a verse from someone else. And at the time, Tory Lanez was hot, so I wanted the Tory Lanez verse, but I think they had issues with clearing, and all that. So we just did Major Laser easier. And, high dollar sign so and then major laser now so from there that was how i got um deep flow was like i want to meet this guy so he was in nigeria in 2017 for the major laser fest and they all the way my studio we created some stuff nice. and from then we started working on projects and a whole lot of stuff so nice. it's just been a great relationship wow, beautiful. yeah Beautiful, man. Because it, it yeah. it's interesting how how you've been um, moving, and it's like you're on this new um, pivot now. Uh, earlier in the year, you were named head of music and ENR for Empower. What does this role um, entail? How has it been? Yeah. So literally, if I, let me just say that the head of music thing is literally um, just formalizing work I've been doing all over the time like i've been doing the same work <laughs> so but we're just trying to make it formal so that i see it as a proper job and not because prior to me being named head of music easy could send stuff for me to do or review and i'll take my time yeah <laughs> so but being named head of music you have to work with timelines you have to follow through on projects you have to mentor artists you have to um, guide their songs to make sure that um everything being released musically and everything um every prospective project has a kind of sense of direction hmm. from someone who has had experience and all that so it's a whole there are a lot more things that we yeah. do but that's like a like an overview of what i've been of, doing of, of what yeah quality then, control a whole lot of things like hmm, that lovely and uh, i i've heard of um how 
Joe Boy spent months with you recording and learning. What were you teaching him? And how mm. important is this um, sort of training to the success of any budding artist today? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm like I underestimated um, what we did with Joe Boy, but it was in in hindsight I still seeing the impact of what happened with Joe Boy. Joe Boy, um, when Easy was doing his Empower One Hundred, I think Joe Boy was one of the I think he was one of the first people Easy caught an attention with. So because I think he saw his freestyles and all that. So I remember the first time we met Joe Boy. Joe Boy was that guy who freestyled. He would say <laughs> he would put a thousand words in the in his lyrics and stuff like that so when he worked with me i can see the most important thing i taught joe boy to do was how to space out his music and how to create peak how to differentiate choruses verses just how to structure music recording <laughs> when i listen to some of the first songs we recorded i just laugh you understand but you can see that i released oreke in my ep oreke was one of the songs i worked on with him when I was mentoring him, but that was at the later end stage. You can see that he had picked up, he had already learned, um, he had already learned the process of making music, and that now happened. So you can imagine what will now happen when he's recording with his young friends, yes. Dara, Kyo, and Co. So by the time they send him beats, he knows what to do. So exactly. that's why he was able to he have a song and he would do Baby Shay, you day for me, and give it space to chill out. As I did for you. Like, just imagine if another artist that had that would do, baby, she you did for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, na, na, na. As I did for you. Oh, la, la, la. So you can imagine, <laughs> that's not the same. Yeah. So I taught him to make sure that he understood what he was saying and that he had, that every song should have um, a proper meaning. And I taught him how to to release emotions Meaning, re yes, emotions into yeah into the music yeah so wow because <laughs> because uh, earlier on you mentioned mm. this thing so i can imagine how how you must have taken time out to just say yo mm. let's get this thing right so for acts who don't have the luxury of being stuck with e kelly for months mm. what tips would you give them to aid their artistic development well i'll just say for artists like that, um, most artists make music and over time, you need to look at the songs you've been recording and you need to be very critical. You need to be honest with the people you keep that, that are advising you. Um, look and see, are you doing the same thing over and over? And then this, the music you're making, what kind of impact does it have with people? When you put it out there, what's the kind of response you're getting? Are you getting like a casual response or people are just saying, oh, nice, nice, nice. And you need to give yourself, um, you need to create a mental image. What kind of artist do I want to be? What identity do I want to have? How do I want to be perceived? What market do I want to sell to? And who are the artists that are in the lane in your box? Who are those in your artists that are like you? how do I differentiate myself? Mm. How do I make myself stand out vocally? How do I create a tone? What words do I use that will make me unique enough? Um, do people understand what I say? Is what I'm saying too common? Is it too basic? You understand? So these are just things that artists need to 
look into to create that unique space in the industry. Lovely, lovely. Because there, there, there are too, too many musicians, man, you know. Yeah, so. there are just way too many. Like, you open your series, you want artists named 2BD. <laughs> and that one, there's, um, there's um, Fortnite. So just every kind of artist. And you can't really... In fact, like, I remember last year, somebody was like, oh, I don't even understand. There's Drew Boy, there's Fire Boy. Like, I don't understand. So, But I, there was a time that I personally, I sat down and I listened to both artists. Yeah, and I was like, okay, there were some similar things based on the fact that they were they were all fresh boys doing their own thing. But, you know, over time, listening to them individually, you see what this person talks about more. Yes. You could tell that, okay, this person is more sings more love music. This person is, can be more daring. This, just so you could now start seeing the clear differences. Yes. And these are things we even discuss internally, like, because I still handle, I still oversee the projects, and I was like, okay, I think we need to do this, do that, do that, hmm. change our. I, I've yeah. I've um I've heard you talk about production camps in the past, mm -hmm. and I want to know what the advantages of production camps are over, um, having artists work individually and separately. Yeah, yeah production camps are very very important, and it's also very important creating um bringing a team that are friends. Like when you bring people who are friends, people who know each other, hmm. um, where there is no air of any competition, where people are not trying to impose their ideas, where people just like themselves. I've done about three or four camps. Um, the first camp I I had was, I had a friend who came in from the US, his name is Hombi. He wanted to create some Afrobeat. Hmm. So then I had Boy Breed, I had Mins, I had... I had producers like Sinex, I had MTUC, I had, who else did I have? They had King Perry, but all these guys are friends. Hmm. So it was very important because at the end of the day, everybody just wanted to just drop vibes. <laughs> and I also make, and you also want to make sure that everybody in the camp is adding something. There's no chill, there's no chilling guy. I personally hate crews. Not like I hate, I, I don't have anything against crews, yeah. but I have a big problem with crews that have five or six guys that are just hype men or people who you smoke with or people who... I have nothing against all those things. You can do that. You can do that. But when I'm recording, I don't want to see a crew. I don't want to see... I don't see you, your guys. Like, if the guy is not adding to the recording, yeah. just stay at home. <laughs> you understand? I used to allow that before, but in the later stages of my career, I just... I called the artist. I said, who are you coming with? Um, <laughs> is the person writing with you? <laughs> is the person, do you need the person to buy you stuff? Or do you, if the, is the person your security? Understand? <laughs> I, so I always make sure that when I minimize, because all those things are distractions. Some people are just noisy and callous. And they, yeah, some artists say they need it for their vibe. They need those people to either make them laugh so that they can be creative. But for me, I always like to, I like to know what is productive on your camp. So if you're hmm. having a camp, yes, if you're having a camp, definitely you're going to have those side people come around. Yeah. But make sure that you don't have too much of those distractions so that yeah. we're all focused and creating. Hmm. Uh, you, you, you mentioned them, um, Boy Breed, and I've noticed you work with them a lot. And I'm a fan of those boys. Well. Yeah. What's up with them? Why, why, why? 
Why? Yeah, so, why yes, then? Yes. Yeah, so Boy Breed, um, I I met them in 2014. I recorded um a song for them titled Slowly. So Boy Breed, I I I love working with them for a reason. They have, I think, one of the biggest connection I have with them is that we have similar temperaments. In Lagos, you hardly see people who are. <laughs> well, just come. <laughs> <laughs> so we have similar temperaments. So it makes it very easy for us to work. And secondly, whenever we're working, they always stay focused on what we have to do mm. and what we are trying to achieve. So even when I'm working with them as an artist, as artists, they are trying to do what they do. They are focused on it. And then when I work with them as writers, they are also focused. You understand? And it's it's quite they're they're just a bundle of talent. And they, I like the way they complement each other. When one person is thinking about this line, the other person is thinking about the next line. You understand? And it's just very, it's just a very, very nice um, um, collaboration between them as twins. Yeah. Nice, nice. So, um, Ikeli, there's been a surge in mm-hmm. producers making their own bodies of work lately. Yeah. Why is this necessary, and what value is it to the producer's business and career? Well, I think um, it's very important for legacy because um, producers before just had, um, just always used to have, um, always just collaborated with the artists. For example, you record, um, I record with um, maybe a wonderful, a wonderful releases to music. Um, on the publishing side, I will earn, if I produce it all by myself, I earn 50% on the publishing and the artists or however they want to split their main part 50. Then the artist is going to offer me 5% of mechanicals. And the mechanicals is where all the money is. You understand? So not all the money, but it's like a big chunk. It's really the song, those yeah. numbers. So was why would you... And then you not have the producers having a thousand songs sleeping in their systems. Mm. You recorded. You record because most artists want to record many a lot of songs, and then they don't get to release it. So, and the real truth is that many artists are looking for avenues to release their music. So, if now this song can't make it to my album or can't be a single, if I have um, somebody else who can release it, yeah, where I don't bear the weight of oh, it's an unsuccessful single. They don't <laughs> care. <laughs> they really don't care. And then if they put it out and it's successful, it's oh, still wow. good for me because I get to perform it. Exactly. Yes, and so, so producers, are get, well, I, I want to see where, so I think that's where we're having law producers becoming, um, it's because of legacy, because you want to have, so songs, I see songs are like assets too. It's almost like having um, stocks and bonds. Yeah, so that's what music is like. It's turning to that, it's becoming that. So you can hear people saying, I want to buy Taylor Swift's estate. Mm. It's really an estate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. An artist's music is an estate. So so I think artists doing that now, like I would never have released a project if not for the fact that it's, that was not the sole reason, but for me it was like, it was way overdue mm. for me to have something out there. And no. So, and I'd been planning that project for almost three. In fact, I had the project I had, completed in 2015 but I just never had the confidence to release it and I didn't have the right structure around yeah. me so but now that I'm already in the middle of a company that does all that just take the opportunity and do that lovely lovely yeah. Kelly there 
there are producers who were on everyone's lips just two years ago and are hardly ever mentioned today. Yeah. What would you say is the secret sauce that has kept you relevant in this industry for over a decade now? Well, um, I would say we have different kinds of producers. We have producers who are like fast risers. And when I say by fast rising, sometimes it's not really a choice. It's by collaboration of who they work with. Mm. So if, for example, a producer attaches himself with a Wiz or a Davido, you understand, you definitely will be, you will be in the, you'll be in the conversations all the time because once they release a song and it's successful, you literally have nothing to say. If a producer works with a burner boy, let's say like a Kelpie, you definitely will just, you'll be in the conversation, you understand? Then we have a second kind of producers, producers that break in with an artist. Let's say a new artist comes in and they break in with the artist. So for me, I was fortunate to always, almost always be there when an artist is breaking in, like YC. YC came out, um, I think he had released, I released, I think I did his first single, Kondo. Then he now did another song, then we now did Omoalaji. So it's like I'm always at the cusp of an artist when they're breaking in. Techno, and I did dance for him. He just had his first There's single. If I Dance? Yeah. Oh, that was you? Yeah. Wow. So you, stand, so, you know, I was always at the cusp of, so I always liked taking chances with people, with new artists. And then once in a while, I'll find the right artist to collaborate with hmm. and then pull out. And so, but for me, I think I always, one of the secrets is that I didn't bite more than I could chew. You understand? And then I was always careful to know the kind of collaborations to go into. So apart from, let's say, 2019, 2020, where I've not really been so active, and it's an intentional, um, because I told myself I want to learn more about the business of music. So I, and I also wanted to mentor more young producers so once I saw that there were a few producers around me that I could mentor, Beats by KO, Dara, Type A. So I just literally, I stayed making mm, them, stayed working a. with them. Yeah, to Dara. Type. Wow. And I'm so, so proud of Type A. I met Type A in December last year. I just, I just had one song he produced. And I was like, who did this? <laughs> you know, when you hear something, you say, who did this? I was like, he did this. So I just told him, I said, please tell this guy, he has seen me. Because <laughs> it was insane. Like, I was like, who is this? Because like, I'm drawn to producers who understand music. So I remember I picked him up one day, took him to the studio. We did like a collaborative production. Nice. I assessed his strengths. I could see his weaknesses. I could start. So I said, okay, you do this this way. You do this this way. And I, so I dragged him in. Every session I had, I brought him in. I brought him in, taught him things in between. So at a point, I could now just see that, okay, this boy is holding out on his own. Yeah. So I could now allow him to soar. I could see that he had the things I saw were his direct issues, his needs. I said, okay, he needed accommodation. I told him, like, okay, this is how you plan to get your place. Mm -hmm. You do this, 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 this. You work like this, this way. You, I, was just, I just made sure that I was mentoring him on every area that he found that stability understand and then wow. he gone he went on to work and i think he had worked with fireboy on his last album but i think they had there were some issues okay. you know some sometimes producers are not so smart on dealing with 
um, frictions. And so I think there was a, sl- a very little situation that got his songs kicked out. Hmm. And I was like, you know what? This is how you deal with this. Hmm. And then so when Fireboy called again, he went in and worked and he was able to apply himself. He said, and I stood in as his manager and nice. his, his representative to make sure that his um, publishing and all that was sorted out. And wow. so literally... No, just where he is today. And I just told him that, see, bro, you ain't started because there are many years ahead of you, so you need to apply yourself properly. Mm. And so I'm really proud of his. Like, this year has come out. He's been on about three top um, five producers. Um, Just this year, he's always, he's been on top five producers. He's always there. Mm. And that's something really big. It is. Yeah, but when I was coming up, I, I came out in the top 10, like about, just three times, but he in a year he's been there. Oh, so that's really, really oh, well. Maybe yeah. the people compiling the list were not paying attention. Yeah, no, no. I no, I never I, I never rated those lists because I knew that you know now it's different. Now people we have numbers. Yeah. We have stats. Yes. As as at the time there were no stats. It was buzz, it was street buzz. So it's, it's who is like who they feel like the song they are hearing the most on the streets mm-hmm, or the song mm-hmm. that's rocking the club. Those yeah. are the people that they will rate or whoever yeah. is working with the biggest artist. So it was so now there are numbers. So mm. you can't you can't deny anybody like they're yeah. Kelly, you 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 um just now you said something about the two mm. type of guys and how they break in. Um do you feel like sometimes the guys who who tag along with the big names they get um sucked into a place where they're not able to put in the amount of work that is really needed to guarantee that sustainability? Mm, I would say the bigger trap is um not being able to evolve, especially where the artist is comfortable with a certain kind of sound and a certain kind of um, process of making his music. So evolution is their biggest challenge. They may not be able to find like an opportunity to grow into their next phase of their career. Every producer, like for me, it happened to me all the time. You always find something that switches up your sound, something you just... And most times it comes by experiment. And it comes when you're open-minded. Like for me, I was always watching the trends globally and on the local scale. So there are some times that you realize that, okay, the sound is changing. And then it's either you decide to take this sound a step forward or you just stay in the safe space. Most producers always wait and they stay with the sound. Like, for example, I think... After last year, I can't remember, last year there was this different sound when the Angelina thing came out. Then later, there was this Amapiano infusion in Afrobeat. So most producers will now just start including the Amapiano in their production. But <laughs> like when I sit down and look at it, if you're a wise producer, you will just stick to something unique. Make the music but be be daring, but not too daring. Be daring, still figure out that, okay, people want to dance. What are the dances out there? Because the real truth now is that, imagine somebody who had invested so much making Ama Piano, and this December, people want to dance. What's this, guys? Uh, what's this? Is it um, 
What's that dancer that they're doing this thing? <laughs> what's that? <laughs> what's that guy's name? Uh, Zlatan. Zlatan. Yeah. Imagine everybody wants to dance that Zlatan dance, and then your beat is not in the sequence. Then you wasted time just making a trend that was in early in the year. Do you understand? Yeah. So I feel like at any time, in fact, I feel the way the industry is now is that at any time you can take you can take people back, you can bring them forward. Hmm. So producers should be not scared because I find these days that every producer is staying in that safe space. Once you want to start producing, you look for one ten shaker, drawing, and then your production starts. Like if that shaker is not there, like you are, it's like you they feel insecure. You understand? <laughs> And then most producers these days, because they use fruity loops, they use a lot of loops and it's very good to use. In fact, right now, one of the reasons why I stopped production is that I told myself I have to learn to use loops because that's the reality of today. Today's production needs different things in there to move the groove. Hmm. So I, I say that for producers not to get stuck, try to experiment, try to not um, stay in the safe space of the artist no matter how big they are. Yeah. Try to challenge the artist. If the child if the artist is doing the same thing, so you can decide that okay, I want to create a challenge. I want to get somebody who will challenge me, who will push me into a new space. Mm-hmm. So I look for a very younger artist who has something that is different and try to use that person to grow. You understand? You understand to try out new things. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Uh, my my next question it's like you've kind of um, answered it, it with this, <laughs> with this one. But um, I, I, let me also just hit directly, you know. So um, we know how how to um, help um, artists sharpen their skills. There are more more resource stuff in that regard. But um, how do you sharpen your skills as a producer? Well, definitely. Um... There are, there are a few ways to go. Do now everybody does YouTube, yeah, because we have there. I think there are two sets of producers. There are some producers that are just naturally geeky. That's the they just know ins and outs of things so easily. So um, there are producers now that all they do is just make YouTube videos and they are making their money. They're good. So YouTube is definitely a big resource. The second way to sharpen your skills is by association. Like, you have to stay with people who are progressive, people mm. who do new things. Yeah. Because at least I see that these days and I'm happy. I'll see a P Prime hanging out with uh, with somebody else and with maybe a KO or just a KO with the Dera. And then you find out that, okay, somebody's find out, okay, how he achieved this. And then this person is able to apply it to his own knowledge. And then as you're doing it, when you're thinking you're the king, you're now seeing this person doing something else and you're like, ah, okay, I need to learn how this guy does this. And you add it. But the truth is that most of us are stuck in our ways. Hmm. So it takes you applying something over and over before you get get used to it. Wow, wow. Um, for, for someone with such a vast collection of hits spanning over a decade, do you feel like you've been equitably remunerated for the immense value you've created um i would just say i would say um one of my one of my big um one of the things i only wish i did earlier was to register the works um earlier and but we 
I started my pub. I started chasing after my publishing from like 2015. Like, um, I, I think I had already even signed with Sony ATV in South Africa at the time, mm. but it took like two years for that contract to be active for so many reasons. Like, it was just hard for they just wasted time. Yeah, they couldn't get me into a collecting society and for for weird reasons of things like my passports and <laughs> just some very, very lazy administrative um, reasons. But all that is sorted at the moment. And so I feel like that's my big, that's one thing I wish I did earlier. So that is um, because um, when it comes to, okay, being paid for production, I know I, I never joked with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never played with that part. Yeah, the industry has changed right now yeah. because people are not really, if you're a producer right now and all you're focusing is your production fee. <laughs> and it's not even weird to have those conversations. Anymore. Yeah, it's not really weird to have those conversations. But definitely, of course, it's, it's good to have a production fee. But I see producers who come in and maybe they have that successful year and they say, okay, their production fee is one million. Understand? They want to charge a million to do production, and realistically, yes, some producers are worth that. But the real truth, like because I've <laughs> this few times I've spent um, in the business side of things, I've come to realize that a lot of things that people take gambles, people invest so much in music and they make they do they make losses, they make heavy losses. You understand? So if somebody is willing to spend. Just for example, like an upcoming artist is willing to spend one million in production. He hasn't shot a video. He hasn't done promotions. He hasn't done. Um, he's not done. He's just not done. He hasn't done a lot. And everything. Let's say he puts everything together. And he spends like five million. That song doesn't succeed. Doesn't sell up to. Doesn't stream up to. Doesn't stream the right numbers. Mm-hmm. And you see that at the end, at the end of one year of release, the artist has made less than a thousand dollars. How do you reconcile that? In publishing, they've not really made anything, because there are many artists that are in that cycle. So for me, I feel like most producers at this stage now should be more focused on their equity, on what they are going to own, on the collaborations they make. I'm not saying that you should not charge like production fees, all that. But you should be more um, equity conscious because equity conscious is like a risk you take. I could decide to just make one record, one artist, and tomorrow that song will become. I can just imagine like the producer who made um, um, Joe Boy and the Neptunes and um, Nobody. Mm. Like he's he's cool right now. <laughs> he's cool. If, Assuming if, he, yeah, he, no, he, I de- he, I know definitely I know oh. definitely he has publishing. Okay, great. But you just imagine he has a bigger. Let's say he took a, a risk and said. Okay, I don't want production fees. I want twenty percent on your on your mechanicals. He's definitely going to be making five times more than if you collected one million naira. Sure. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the other day, you collect that one million naira, collect five percent, or maybe ten percent, or maybe six percent, or even three percent. Like you're on the losing and it's basically side. that the losing side. a bed in hand mentality. Yeah, like it's a bed in hand. Like pay me first, though, <laughs> because, and I don't blame many people because you don't know if it's gonna do well. It's just like now you say the Bible says, cast your, 
buried upon the water. You don't know which would do well, either the one you do in the morning or the one you do in the evening. So, but for me as producers, you just have to keep doing. At least if you tell yourself that out of 20 songs I do, if one that one song does well, it compensates for every other thing. You get it. And producers literally these days repeat their sounds. Like I, I don't see them making as much efforts like I did in differentiating music. It was ve- it's one of the hardest parts <laughs> for production, trying to make every song unique. You understand? But these days, who cares? Like I just loop it up <laughs> through my shaper, <laughs> shaker, and, and you know that. So, <laughs> so um. Ikeli, I, I I saw somewhere where you talked about your newfound love for making music. What are we missing here? You fell out of love with making music? Um, I don't think I fell out of love. I think I got I got a bit. I think for me, I, I, when I look at it and I like situation, yeah. Um, I I think I was tired of doing the same stuff. Yeah. And I wanted I wanted a change. I also wanted to I wanted a new challenge. And then I think I was curious over um making a stamp or making a putting my legs in for the next phase of my career, hmm. which needed me to be in the management space yeah. in the business front of music. Understand and understanding how the industry worked, understanding the aging of the music room. Yeah, not just being in the workspace, but being seeing how the engine room works hmm. and knowing how to negotiate, know just all those things. So I think that curiosity and that desire overshadow that. Yeah, basically. Okay, so man, final final question, yeah, Chief. So um, in your in your new capacity as this um, business um, A&R music guy, what is that one quality or element that if it is absent in a person, you would not bother wasting your time working with them or signing them? Um, for me, um, like when I'm looking at an artist, um, Yes, you look at the music, you look at um, what they can deliver, you look at their work ethic, Mm. um, you see their consistency. But very importantly is is the mentality of entitlement. I don't know why that is so big for me because um, I always feel like when artists come and they're signed, I always like to watch how entitled the artist is because a lot of artists feel like the music is their dear bringing is enough for you to want to do everything for them and they feel like the prize. Yes, that's the prize. That's when you've made success for the artist. I always look out for that sense of entitlement but that sense of entitlement you see pride and other things are locked in laziness sometimes yeah so sense of entitlement and the work ethic those Mm. things are very very key and how i always like to see how an artist is able to hold his own i like to see an artist that okay if we release a record what efforts does the artist put in the promotions what does the artist what, what resources does the artist have in their own locker 
um, is the artist able to stand by himself to a certain extent? Do you understand? How disciplined is this artist to meet um, his obligations? And how driven, how personally driven are you? Because these are things that you need if everything falls apart. Because if everything falls apart, like, what do you have? You understand? One of the things I loved a lot about Drew Boy was the fact that we would not tell him or he would just come out and just send us like five songs. In the next two weeks, we'll see another three songs. Hmm. In the next listen, we'll see another four songs. Like, so you could tell, and we were not paying for all this production, but definitely we're paying for music that we're, we're being released. Yes. Do you understand? So, but for you to be able to go out there to make so much music, I mean, like that thing was something that really was really, really key. You understand? And so you, for me, I just wonder, I said, ah, haven't, the, haven't the ideas finished? Like, <laughs> yeah, but each song had this unique vibe, you understand? So it's very, very key. And trust me, there was a day, I think Joe Boy was in my house, like, about two, three weeks ago, because we we're trying to do some stuff. And we we're doing something. And in my mind, I was just like, ah, this still feels like Joe Boy that I was with when he was... You understand, you know, some artists, when you've experienced some kind of success, you can feel the air around them change. Mm. You can feel how they respect you diminish. Mm. How they, and I'm not, I'm not sure he's doing that because I'm Ikelio, I'm older. It's just who he is and how his, how his mind is. So most times it's good to keep that consistency of character. I'm not saying that you behave the same way you keep yourself accessible to the same people or all that but that consistency of character you understanding that this thing you are is by god's grace it's not you who did it yeah fame gets to the head and it creeps and it kills and it destroys but if you find a way to keep yourself together and just not um, be a different person when you are experiencing success like it's those things are very, very key. Yeah. <sighs> Ikeli, thank you, man. Yeah. Thank well, you man. so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This 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 was really special. Like I knew it would. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for having me. 